sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. And the easiest way you can do that is by email. The address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. I'm joined on the phone today by Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell. Hi, Liz. Hi, how are you, Chris? It's great to be here. Great to have you on the show. Uh, Dr. E and I are going to be talking today about her answer to the question, what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? When you think about what it, we're, many of us in our country, most of us are Christian, but what does that mean? And we're going to hear the, the couple of angles that Dr. E is going to bring in answering that question. If you've never listened to Ignition before, again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls, which is basically all of eastern South Dakota. If you're not a South Dakotan, you look at the map, the Missouri River kind of almost cleanly bisects the state of South Dakota, and we are the eastern half of the state. Um, been in the role of Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization for the Diocese since 2002, but more importantly, been in the role of husband to Jermaine since 1999. She's from Ohio, I'm from Central Minnesota, but all five of our kids are born and raised here in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Dr. E, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So my main work that I do full-time during the school year is I teach at a independent Catholic K-12 here in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, and it's called Trinity Academy. Where, Wisconsin? Wait, where, Wisconsin? What was that? <laughs> Pewaukee. So if you if you hear a lot of the town names, there's a lot of W-A-U, which comes from our Indian uh, culture here in the state. So I live in Wauwatosa. Yes. Milwaukee. Yes. Our school is in Pewaukee. We're <laughs> in Waukesha. Um, and that's just water. It, all the rivers in uh, in Wisconsin have Indian town names nearby them. So yep. it's really neat. Very good. Um, and uh, so I teach fifth grade during the day and also high school. I'm a literature teacher uh, by deep love. And uh, I also uh, lecture on the life and thought of St. Edith Stein, which is the saint that I did my doctoral dissertation on, her vision of the arts. So I do all of that in a day or a week or a month and uh, love it. So I'm glad to be able to talk to your listeners just about some of these things. I'm, I'm happy to have you here as well. Uh, Dr. E, so it's interesting, by the way, Liz, so you kind of go by Dr. E. Around around here, my, my colleagues, I didn't... I didn't ask them to, but I'm off. I often go by Doctor B. So, uh, <laughs> so Doctor B, Doctor B, and Doctor E on ignition today. Um, Doctor B and Doctor E both went to Steubenville together. We both graduated the same year in 1990 something, uh, but we didn't. We had to go to Rome, Liz, to to meet each other, which is interesting. Yeah, it's funny. All, all roads lead to Rome, but I highly recommend to any of your listeners who are very passionate about the faith. They've gotten their undergraduate degree and they're not quite sure what's next. I highly recommend um, some of the wonderful theological degrees available at the Roman Pontifical University. Amen. In fact, I 
went and got a communications degree there. And these are degrees that are highly sought after back here in the States because it makes you a very unusual candidate in the job market because you have such a, a depth of knowledge of the structure of the church in order to communicate the faith back out. So, Did, were you, and remind me, were you the first person to receive a, a doctorate in social communications from Santa Croce where you where you went, or, or the first woman to receive a doctorate? The first, uh, the first lay person. Lay, first lay person. The first, the first woman. Okay. So okay. There were there have been priests who had gone through the program, and all of my classmates were priests, and they they you know they they weren't too hard on me. They were you know they let me. <laughs> Let me, you know, <laughs> get get through, and um, and so that is a degree that not a lot of lay people have, and yeah. so go get it because you can do great things with it. Amen, amen. Great plug for the pontifical universities and institutes mm-hmm. in Rome. So, so this episode, and we're going to have you on next week to talk about Edith Stein, who you mentioned earlier. But today, we're going to talk about your question, your answer to the question: What does it mean to be Christian? So we'll just start. Dr. E, with that basic question, what does, how do you answer that question? What does it mean to be a Christian? When you told me we were going to talk about that question, the first thing that came to my mind is that Christianity should be extremely visible, Mm. that there should be something that marks you in your presentation, in your experience, in how you interact with other people that they say to themselves, there's something about that person that is powerful and intriguing and attractive, and Christianity should be should be seen if we're Christians. People should know that we're Christians. I've lived in Europe, and anywhere I went, they knew I was American. It didn't <laughs> matter what I wore. It didn't matter if I masked my accent. They just knew. Um, there's an attitude that's American. There's a confidence that's American. Sometimes there's a naivete that's American. We smile. Um, that, we, we smile, Liz. That's what it comes I down to. I have a sign on my head saying American, but it, they, you could tell. <laughs> right. And it should be the same way with Christianity. We should be so different in the culture that people say, she's not from here. She's not from um, the world I'm living in. She's from somewhere else. Where is that? And mm. that place should be Christendom. And that we were just different. If we think about St. Edith Stein, who we're going to talk about next week, she was um, living the life of an atheist. She had been raised Jewish. And she went to a university town where she met a lot of believing Christians. And she says, I kept experiencing something that was different. They treated me differently. They Mm. treated me with a love I'd only experienced if it was in a family setting. They reached out to me. Something animated their lives that I wasn't um, privy to as a non-believer. And she calls that experience meeting a living image. Mm. So when you meet a living image, meaning a person whose heart and soul are given over to Christ, and he's the reason why we do what we do, or, or we say what we say, or we act in the way that we do, we're an image of him and represent him to whoever it is we meet. And that allows the other person to to receive the experience of having met Christ, and that's going to change them, obviously, because if they met Christ, it would change them forever. The gospel is full of these encounters with Christ that change people forever, and they might only meet him for three minutes at a well. Um, So to become a living image, and we know the people in our lives who are masterpieces. So 
Mother Teresa was a masterpiece. She was so, she lived and breathed the love of God so totally in everything she did that she was magnificent. Um, I never met her personally. My father was able to spend a day with her once in Calcutta, and he said she was just the quietest nun. You wouldn't have known that she was, you know, running as this global order. Um, but something about her just was totally authentic. And again and again, um, she encountered the poor person and then brought Christ to him and she changed the world. I mean, she changed, she changed India and she changed an, an attitude towards poverty in the third world and she's, her order's doing great things. So it, it, to become someone that they can tell you're Christian by the way you just reacted, responded, um, you do the unconventional thing because it's the right thing to do. And it takes a lot of courage to be a Christian. Um, when you, Dr. E, when you think about like in our day and age, cause what you did, I think you actually were, you were moving towards answering my question just now, if I would let you go, probably would have, but I'm wondering what today it looks like to be a Christian. What is it? Not that just stands out, right? Cause, cause, cause any teenager in a sense, as, as much as they want to uh, be counterculture, they go with the flow, but, but they want to be different. So, you know, there's all sorts of ways that people try to be different that, that aren't masterpieceful. Um, what are some ways today when people live so you mentioned um, your, the, da- the word your dad used to describe Mother Teresa, or maybe it was your word, but authentic. What are some other words that you think describe the ways in which people who live their faith today uh, will look or will feel to those around them? That's a great question. I heard a fabulous interview just yesterday, and the man was saying, we think to be Christian means you're supposed to be nice. If I'm nice, I'm a Christian. That's that's not necessarily what it means. Um, It can mean saying no to what the culture is offering. If I'm a Christian father of young children, my job is not to be nice. Yep. My job is to be the adult who sets boundaries and expectations and shows those children their value uh, because he doesn't let them just do whatever they want, go to bed whatever time they want, associate with whoever they want, play any kind of video game. It's it's that dad's job to say, no, there's a higher calling on your life, and it's my job to discipline and guide you to that. In other words, in authenticity, allowing you the freedom of the truth. So Christianity is always connected to the truth. Yep. Um, and it's this, that the two beams of the cross then are love and truth, and you can't have only one. You can't be all love, and you can't be all truth. Um, you know, if you're all truth, it's just this sort of severe justice, and there's, but then if you're all love, and well, anything goes, and neither one is true. Uh, Stein says one without the other becomes a destructive lie. So you want to oh. be both. You yeah. want to be both. But, uh, for example, I'm the dean of students of a high school. Total love in our social events. We want to have so much fun. We want the students to want to come. And then the truth, there will be standards. There will be a dress code. I will vet the music. And then everyone knows where they are. Yep. And, and the child can feel safe uh, because there's an adult in the room who is reminding everyone that we are, um, you know, we're made for, for, for God and, and his good order is going to be a part of this event, or it's not going to be any fun at all. It's just going to look like, you know, the dance down the street at the public high school, Amen. which isn't any fun at all. Right. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell about her answer to the question, what does it mean to be Christian? We've been talking about, um, first and foremost, there's got to be a visibility. If, if, if To be Christian means to live in a certain way that stands out, that, that for many people will be attractive, but not necessarily for everyone, um, because as, as you were just saying, Dr. E, um, to live our faith sometimes means to say no to those around us. Um, and anything else in terms of visibility or, or, do, or is there another direction you want to go? What else does it mean to be Christian? Well, I'll cap on visibility with the the persecuted Christians. So to be a Christian right now in 2020 in some places in the world, and it doesn't get enough media coverage at all, means there's a gun to your head, your home just got torched, your church is in rubble, and you better take your business and leave town. Mm. Um, and that would be areas of the Middle East, that would be um, persecuted places in Africa. This is, it, there, there, is there is widespread mm. uh, martyrdom going on. And right. it, it, it seems like until it comes to, you know, to a town near you, nobody is going to focus on it, but there are some wonderful groups advocate, advocating for the persecuted Christians, I work with a group called Nazarene.org, um, and Nazarene being, um, you know, the, the Christian symbol that the communities there uh, carry and, and promote. And there, there is a fear that there will not be any Christians left in those ancient places of the world where the seedbed of Christianity, yep. uh, because they will be driven out. And it's it's not a matter of you know in a few decades. It's a matter of you know in a year or two. Uh, if we don't make it possible with with funding and assistance and protection to allow Christians to live openly in certain areas of the world. So I think it, it can cost you, it should cost you in your life at some level to be a Christian, and then it, it is costing some of the Christians a, a great deal and everything right now, and they are they are living the life of the early martyrs um, in broad daylight. Amen. I think... Uh, it, uh, well, I, I heard this years ago. I'm pretty sure it's true. You could pr- uh, verify, correct me. But the 20th century, the last century, um, saw more people, more Christians martyred for their faith than the previous 19 centuries combined. Isn't that right? That is a fantastic statistic, Chris. And in fact, I wrote an article called Recognizing Our Mute Witnesses at the Catholic thing about two months ago. And I said that the, the modern regime, here's the insidious difference. The modern regime, the modern tyrant persecutes you for your Christianity. And this could be the corporate culture in the United States. If you are in the corporate world, you know, as a professional, you cannot be outwardly Christian, right. probably in your workplace. You have to keep your, your, your Christian identity very private or you'll lose your job. Um, that's persecution and it's persecution of Christianity. In the olden days, the martyr was taken in front of the emperor and asked, what God do you serve? And they were given the dignity of saying, I serve Christ. And then they were killed in the arena. And that's how it went. And the emperor was pagan and the Christian witness was asked to serve the pagan gods and wouldn't and was killed. And it was all out in the open, terrible as it was. But in the modern times, you can think of some of the regimes of the 20th century. They're operating against Christ and against your Christianity, and they've rounded you up at night, and they've put you in the gulag, and they know perfectly well why. But they're not going to ask you the question, what yeah. God do you serve? They don't give you the dignity of proclaiming your Christianity, and there's a silencing of the motive. 
And it, the effect is no, no less terrible. You are killed or persecuted for your faith. But the insidiousness of modern persecution is that often the question, uh, are you a Christian, is not asked. Yep. You're simply killed because you are, or you are professionally <clears throat> sidelined because you are. Um, and that, that's really, really important to know about. Because if I speak my faith, then you hear it, and then you speak it to someone else. Your whole radio show is about this, you know, ignition. Right. Um, it's it's speaking faith because you're strengthening the person who's driving to work and isn't quite sure um, that they should keep keep being Christian. It, it's costing them a lot, and and is it worth it? And perhaps you're giving them that encouragement, that speaking out. Amen. Amen. So that yeah, the reality there's still persecution going on today at a scale that most of us are completely unaware of. Uh, we might know the the the, greatest, the latest details of the lives of various celebrities and sports figures, but yes. we don't realize that there are there are um, thousands of Christians who are being actively persecuted, many even to the point of martyrdom for their faith. Exactly. And then you had you had said what is sort of you know the other side of of this question what does it mean to be a Christian I was actually going to say that there's a very interior very hidden side to being a Christian mm. um, and it's the interiority of relying on God hoping and trusting in His total love for us that He it's a very personal faith that the Lord truly truly is, is is taking care of me, has my best interest at heart, giving my life over to him. I think we're, we're such a control culture um, because we have so much. I yep. can do it. I can, you know, I can record it. I can replay it later. I can mute it. I can drive there. I can buy it. Um, we can pretty much have a made-to-order life, and that's not Christianity. We're not in charge. God is in charge. He is, a fa- he is our Father, and just as much as a Father in right order is making decisions for his child, that's the Christian life. And that is a challenge um, of great love. St. Therese of Lisieux, who is this beautiful little saint, um, uh, the turn of the century out of France, she was a Carmelite nun and she died when she was in her early 20s. And her, her childhood is a great book called Story of a Soul. She, there's a book that is uh, written about her called I Believe in Love. And she posits the thesis, do you believe in God? And I think we would say, yes, I believe he exists. But she's yeah. not asking, do you believe he exists? She's saying, do you believe he loves you? Right. And that's a much harder faith statement to make. Yeah, I believe God exists because there's gravity and he created it and I'm sitting here at my desk not floating up to the ceiling. But do I believe that when I end this radio interview and go back out um, and teach in this school that the Lord has got this? He's got it under control. He's got the funding. He's got the students. He's got the teachers. He's got the path forward. Um, It's bigger than I could do. It's his work. He wants it. He will assist me. He loves me. He's always being thoughtful, even if it's something really hard. There's total wisdom in what's going on because God is all good. He's all faithful. His name is goodness. Um, So I think to actually live interiorly that level of believing in the love of the Lord for me um, is is a huge part of Christianity that isn't seen on the outside. And I think it's it's going beyond, because I think... um... 
So God exists and many of, oh yeah, yeah, I, I believe in God. Um, and God is love. Oh yeah, 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 I believe that God is love. But this is not just saying God is love. This is saying God loves me. And I yeah. say that with complete confidence, just as much as I, and not everybody can say this, unfortunately, but just as much as many or most of us can say, my dad or my mom or my mm-hmm. spouse loves me, mm-hmm. I can say with even more confidence that, mm-hmm. that that the creator of the universe who sent his son, who died on the cross, that he loves me personally, Chris Bergwald here in 2020, that's what we're talking about. Not just the more generic, broad statement that God is love, Right. Exactly. And it's, he loves me and it's, there, there's no limit on that. It's not unless I, uh, don't perform to a certain level. Mm. There's no contingency. It's totally unconditional. Obviously he will correct discipline. Um, he has a right order. There are 10 commandments. Your life will go the direction he wants when you're in unison with his plan. But there is no one who is so far beyond his love that they're unredeemable or that God gave up on them. And I think that's a really, I think that's something there that I think, and, and, um, well, I know it's true with many Catholics, maybe, maybe it's true with other Christians as well, but I know because I, I live, breathe, interact with, with Catholics, uh, here in Eastern South Dakota, a lot of Catholics have this idea that, 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 uh, that they have to earn God's love, that mm-hmm. that they have to do something. Well, just as I am now, well, I'm a sinner. I mean, they don't necessarily consciously think this, but they've got this sort of assumption um, that, that, well, God will love me once I get to a certain level of goodness or rightness or, or whatever yeah. it might be. But as you're just saying, it's, it's unconditional. He, yes, he has expectations and demands, but his, his love is not something that I have to earn. And it's, and it's a two-way street, so I think then we say, well, if God loved me, he would give me this one thing that I know I need, um, but he isn't, and right. so he doesn't love me. Right. Um, so it, it's back and forth. It's, no, I, you know what, God, you, you've got this. You're, you, I don't have to have all the understanding on the planet. Um, I am an extremely finite person who understands only so far. Um, and, and that can go so many ways. St. Therese talks about that a great deal. In fact, she said in her day and age, it was a very Jansenistic culture. It was a very much earn God's love, severe mercy. Um, and the justice of God was being deeply respected, but perhaps overly emphasized. Yeah. And she wanted to turn, she's kind of one of the first apostles of divine mercy. She was saying there are graces God wants to give us. And nobody wants to receive them. And she said, I'll just make myself the person who received all the ways God wanted to love people that people turned away and didn't want him. Yeah. And how, how sad that made him. He came um, and he had all these graces and people are kind of like, no, thanks, God. No, I'm a little busy today. Maybe <laughs> later, maybe you send it in this form. And God's left holding these like gifts. And Therese is like, I'll take them. Amen. I'll take them. I don't know. They didn't look good to that person, but I'm sure it was loving. I'll take it. And that I thirst of Christ on the cross is I thirst to love, and I don't have um, the ability because sometimes the love I'm offering, and I, we all know that if you offer love to someone and they don't want it, that's so hurtful. Um, and you think, but, uh, but what, you know, why not? I had these great plans, and, and <laughs> the, the, being closed to God is, is something that— um, you know, he wants to give us things that sometimes we don't trust him enough to, to say, okay, he loves me. And therefore I'm going to just be totally receptive 
Amen. It's just accepting on both sides. Amen. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking today with Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell about her answer to the question, what does it mean to be Christian? Dr. E, we've got a little under four minutes to go. To me, the connection between these two is sort of the reverse order of how we've discussed them. So when we become aware of the depth to which God personally loves us, that changes how we act and how we are around others. Because I know that my Heavenly Father loves me, so... I'm not worried. I'm not fretting. I'm not anxious about how I'm going to pay the bills or if I'm going to get COVID or not. Not to underpay, uh, not to um, under uh, downplay the importance of bills or diseases, but just to recognize that when we when we when we're aware of God's love for us, that changes how we are, how we act, and our faith becomes visible as a result. And it's deeply freeing because you know that he'll call you in the ways that you're gifted. And if you move in the ways that he's calling you, you'll, you'll be very joyful because you'll be using the gifts he actually placed in you. He's, he's created us each to do a specific work on this earth. And if, if we don't do it, it might not get done. Um, sort of like the George Bailey. Um, yeah, George yes. Bailey hadn't, hadn't loved in all the ways he was called in his simplicity to love. There was going to be a gap on this earth, and there's going to be a gap on this earth with each one of us if we don't um, say, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to teach fifth grade. That's what God made me good at. I need to go do that, and I don't need to go do 10 other things. That's for other people. Just go do what he's gifted you for, and, and um, it's like, you know, he, he made a great car. He knows how to make a great car and put the right engine in it. If it's a Maserati, he knows how to make it. Yep. So it needs to go and, you know, go race. It doesn't need to, you know— Pull a tractor. Right. <laughs> go, do it, go, go do what you're good at. That'll be what God intends for you to be. It's not as complicated as we make it. If so, if you're a tractor tractor, if you're a tractor, be content uh, of pulling the 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 hay baler. Uh, yes. If you're a Maserati, be content going fast. Basically, exactly. Go get on the autobahn and goodbye. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so to to be a Christian should be something that's visible. To be a Christian flows from an awareness of God's personal love for me. Maybe just going back to the second one there, Dr. Eden, just the minute or so we have left. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be enough time. What if I lack that? What if somebody's listening like, you know what? I've been going to Mass for 30, 40, 50 years and I don't know that God loves me. And, and it's not just enough, I think, for them to hear you and I say it. What do we, how, do, how do we internalize that? How do we become aware of that reality for each one of us? You have one minute to answer the question. I would say get some great spiritual reading. It almost doesn't ma- no matter what. Mm. The lives of the saints, read, just open up Scripture, start reading the Psalms. Just take the time to listen to what the Lord has to say. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows what you're worried about. I I heard a sermon once that said, God wants to meet you at the point of your greatest fear. Whatever it is, go take it to God and be like, this is what I'm scared of, Lord. This. Just tell him. And Mm. then watch what happens. Just watch what happens. I, I, so, uh, the Lord want the, the quote again, what was the quote you heard in the, in the homily? God, God wants to meet you at the point of your greatest fear. So naming that, I love that as advice. Just sit in front of a crucifix and say, Lord, you might think it's silly, but this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of this happening or not happening. I just want to tell you about it. And he will just come and take that seriously, and he will will help you. That's awesome. Thanks, Mm -hmm. Dr. E. Yep, you're welcome, Chris. Thank you, guys, and thanks to all your listeners. You guys are an amazing crew. Thank you. So, 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 folks, this is where we're wrapping up here um, with that latter point. If you don't know that God loves you, 
be honest, be open with him in your prayer. Maybe, maybe for prayer, you has always just been praying the prayers that you memorize as a child, which is a good thing. But maybe for the first time ever, tell him, Lord, this is what I'm afraid of. Help me here. Meet me here. Heal me here. And we'll see what he does. Folks, that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, email us ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.